Section five of Make Mine Homogenized by Rick Raphael. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield. Section five An Earth Shaking Explosion. Johnny Culpepper's dramatic charge to the rescue was no more dramatic than the reaction of a dozen other places in Nevada and California, particularly sixty miles south, where a small army of military and scientific men were preparing for an atomic underground shot when the Circle T pickup vanished. The shock wave rippled across the desert floor, flowed around the mountains, and tunneled into Frenchman's Flat, setting off every shock-measuring instrument. Then came the ground wave, rolling through the earth like a gopher through a garden. Ditto for ground wave measuring devices. Lastly, the sound boomed on to the startled scientists and soldiers like the pounding of great timpani under the vaulted dome of the burning sky. On mountaintop observation post, technicians turned unbelieving eyes north to the burgeoning pillar of smoke and dust, then yelped and swung optical electronic instruments to bear on the fantastic column. In less than fifteen minutes, the test under preparation had been cancelled, all equipment secured, and the first assault waves of scientists, soldiers, intelligence, and security men were racing north behind white-suited and sealed radiation detection teams, cradling Geiger counters in their arms like submachine guns. Telephone lines were jammed with calls from the Atomic Energy Commission, field officials reporting the phenomena to Washington and calling for aid from West Coast and New Mexico AEC bases. Jet fighters at Nellis Air Force Base near Las Vegas were scrambled and roared north over the ground vehicles to report visual conditions near the Purple Pillar of Power. The Associated Press Office in San Francisco had just received word of the quake recorded by the seismograph at Berkeley when a staffer on the other side of the desk answered a call from the A.P. Stringer in Carson City reporting the blast and mighty cloud in the desert sky. One fast look at the map showed that the explosion was well north of the AEC testing ground limit. The Carson City Stringer was ordered to get out to the scene on the double and hold the fort while reinforcements of staffers and photographers were flown from Prisco. Before any of the official or civil agencies had swung into action, the Circle T station wagon had rocketed off the ranch road and turned onto the oiled county highway leading both to Carson City and the now expanding but less dense column of smoke. Johnny hunched over the wheel and peered through the thickening pall of smoke and dust, reluctant to ease off his breakneck speed, but knowing that they had to find Hetty. If she were alive, neither man had said a word since the wagon raced from the ranch yard. There was no valid reason to associate the explosion with Hetty, yet, instinctively and naggingly, Johnny knew that somehow Hetty was involved. Barney, Still ignorant of his era of the oil drums, just clung to his seat and prayed for the best. The dust was almost too thick to see, forcing Johnny to slow the station wagon as they penetrated deeper into the base of the smoke column, hiding under his frantic concern. For Hetty was the half-formed thought that the whole thing was an atomic explosion and that he and Barney were headed into sure radiation deaths.
His logic nudged at the thought and said, if it were atomic, you started dying back on the porch, so might as well play the hand out. A puff of wind swirled the dust up away from the road as the station wagon came up to the smoking crater. Johnny slammed on the brakes, and he and Barney jumped from the car to stand, awestruck, at the edge of the hole. The dust deadened air muffled Johnny's sobbing exclamation. Dear God! They walked slowly round the ragged edges of the crater. Barney bent down and picked up a tiny metallic fragment from the pavement. He stared at it, then tapped Johnny on the arm and handed it to him wordlessly. It was a twisted piece of body steel, bright at its torn edges and coated with the scarlet enamel that had been the color of the Circle T pickup. Johnny's eyes filled with tears, and he shoved the little scrap of metal in his pocket. Let's see what else we can find, Barney. The two men began working a slow search of the area in an ever-widening circle from the crater that led them finally up over the top of the little hill to the south of the road. Fifteen minutes later, they found Hetty, and ten minutes after that, the wiry, resilient ranch woman was sitting between them on the seat of the station wagon, explaining how she happened to be clear of the pickup when the blast occurred. The suspicion that had been growing in Johnny's mind, now brought into the open by his relief at finding Hetty alive and virtually unhurt, bloomed into full flower. Barney, Johnny asked softly, which oil drum did you put in the back of the pickup? The facts were falling into place, like the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle when the Carson City reporter, leading a caravan of cars and emergency vehicles from town by a good ten minutes, and beating the AEC and military teams by twenty minutes, found the Circle T trio sitting in the station wagon at the lip of the now faintly smoldering crater. A half hour later, the AP man in San Francisco picked up the phone. I've just come back from that explosion, the Carson City stringer said. The AP man put his hand over the phone and called across the desk. Get ready for a 95 first lead blast. Okay, the San Francisco desk man said. Let's have it. He tucked the phone between his chin and shoulder and poised over his typewriter. Well, there's a crater more than 100 feet across and 10 feet deep the Carson City Stringers dutifully recounted. The scene is on County Road 38, about 40 miles east of here, and the blast rocked Carson City and caused extensive breakage for miles around. What caused it? The AP man asked as he pounded out a lead. A lady at the scene said her milk and eggs blew up, the Carson City Stringer said. Ten miles south, the leading AEC disaster truck stopped behind the six-strand fence blocking the range road. Two men with wire cutters jumped from the truck and snipped the twanging wires. The metal keep-out sign banged to the ground and was kicked aside. The truck rolled through the gap, and the men swung aboard. Behind them was a curtain of dust rising sluggishly in the hot sky, marking the long convoy of other official vehicles pressing hard on the trail of the emergency truck. When the range road cut across the county highway, the driver paused long enough to see that the heaviest smoke concentrations from the unknown blast lay to the west. He swung left onto the oiled road and barreled westward. 
In less than a mile, he spied the flashing red light of a state trooper's car parked in the center of the road. The scene looked like a combination of the San Francisco quake and the Los Angeles County Fair. Dozens of cars, trucks, two fire engines, and a good humor man were scattered around the open range land on both sides of the vast crater still smoldering in the road. A film of purple dust covered the immediate area and still hung in the air, coating cars and people. Scores of men, women, and children lined the rim of the crater, gawking into the smoky pit, while other scores roamed aimlessly around the nearby hill and desert. A young sheriff's deputy standing beside the state trooper's car raised his hand to halt the AEC disaster van. The truck stopped, and the white-suited radiation team leaped from the vehicle, counters in hand, racing for the crater. Back, the chief of the squad yelled at the top of his lung. Everybody get back. This area is radiation contaminated. Hurry. There was a second of stunned comprehension, and then a mad, pandemonic scrambling of persons and cars, bumping and jockeying to flee. The radiation team fanned out around the crater, fumbling at the level scales on their counters. When the instruments failed to indicate anything more than normal background count, all of the vehicles had pulled back to safety, all except a slightly battered station wagon still parked a yard or two from the eastern edge of the crater. The radiation squad leader ran over to the wagon. Three people, two men and a dirty, disheveled, and bloody-nosed older woman, sat in the front seat munching good humor bars didn't you hear me the aec man yelled get out of the here the area's hot radioactive dangerous get moving the woman leaned out the window and patted the radiation expert soothingly on the shoulder shuck sonny no need to get this excited over a little spilt milk milk the aec man yelped purpling Milk, I said this is a hot area. It's loaded with radiation. Look at this, he pointed to the meter on his counter. Then stopped, gawked at the instrument, and shook it, and stared again. The meter flicked placidly along at the barely above normal background level count. Hey, Jack, one of the other white-suited men on the far side of the crater called. This hole doesn't register a thing. The squad chief stared incredulously at his counter and banged it against the side of the station wagon. Still, the needle held in the normal zone. He banged it harder, and suddenly the needle dropped to zero as Hetty and her ranch hands peered over the AEC man's shoulder at the dial. Now, ain't that a shame, Marnie said sympathetically. You done broke it. The rest of the disaster squad helmets off in the blazing sun and lead-coated suits unfastened drifted back to the squad leader at the circle t station wagon a mile east the rest of the aec convoy had arrived and halted in a huge fan of vehicles parked safe distance from the crater a line of more white-suited detection experts moved cautiously forward with a stunned look, the first squad leader turned and walked slowly down the road towards the approaching line. He stopped once and looked back at the gaping hole, down at his useless counter, 
shook his head, and continued on to meet the advancing units. By nightfall, strands of barbed wire reflected the last rays of the red Nevada sun. Armed military policemen and AEC security police in powder blue battle jackets patrolled the fences around the county road crater and around the fence that now enclosed the immediate vicinity of the Circle T Ranch buildings, floodlights bathed the wire and cast an eerie glow over the mass of parked cars and persons jammed outside the fence. A small helicopter sat off to the right of the impromptu parking lot, and an NBC newscaster gave the world a verbal description of the scene, while he tried to talk above the snorting of the gas power generator that was supplying the Associated Press radio telephone link to San Francisco. Black AEC vans and dun-colored military vehicles raced to and from the ranch headquarters, pausing to be cleared by the sentries guarding the main gates. The AP log recorded 118 major daily newspapers using the AP story that afternoon and the following morning. Carson City, Nevada, May 12th, AP. A kiloton eggnog rocked the scientific world this morning. On a Nevada ranch 40 miles east of here, 60-year-old Mehetabel Thompson is milking a cow that gives milk more powerful than an atomic bomb. Her chickens are laying the triggering mechanisms. This the world learned today when an earth-shaking explosion rocked. End of section 5. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield, Mississippi, USA.